welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I don't often start by reading a guest's bio. You can read that yourself at the website. But I know you'll find this bio somewhat unique. My guest today is a National Speakers Association certified international motivational virtual and live speaker. She's a consultant, a trainer, and an author. While many people allow their fears, negativities, and self-blinding beliefs to stop them from experiencing life to the fullest, this is certainly not the case with Gail. Gail motivates, facilitates, educates, and exhilarates her audiences, unlike any other presenter. To fully open their eyes and change the way they see, and change the way they live. Gail got a degree in voice, and then obtained her Master of Music degree in vocal performance, and a Master of Arts degree in transpersonal psychology. She's sung the lead role of Mimi in La Boheme, in Violetta in La Traviata, and she's taught piano for 40 years. She was crowned Miss Colorado Senior America, and was fourth runner-up in the National Miss Senior America pageant. Gail helped build her former Habitat for Humanity home. She's climbed the historic 75-story Sydney Harbor Bridge. Former President Jimmy Carter has called her story a force that is an inspiration. Her astounding experiences, immense knowledge, and unparalleled determination have inspired thousands to live lives of purpose and vision which is pretty spectacular, as Gail herself is completely blind. Gail Hamilton, welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Gail, if we could start Mm -hmm. at the beginning. You are one half of a set of twins. Do you mind sharing how you became blind? Oh, no. I, um, yeah, I'm Yes, I'm one half of, I like that, one half of a set of twins. We were born two and a half months premature, and we weighed two pounds, or at least I did. He weighed, my brother, two and a half pounds. And they put us in separate incubators where they put 100% pure oxygen in the incubator for 24-7 for six weeks. And that is what caused um, me to have partial sight. When I was a kid, and then I got totally blind when I was 11. So too much oxygen, not a good thing. Is that standard practice? Like, I don't know anything about incubators, but. You know, yeah, I think back then it was because they didn't, they thought, you know, more is better. So what's, and 100% pure oxygen. Now I think they, when there's a preemie, they, they know enough not to put 100% 
pure oxygen in for 24 seven. And I think, I don't know what they, how they, if they say, okay, we'll do it for an hour, then we'll do this for an hour. Then, you know, I don't know how they do it. I think if they have to do it, they'll at least, now they know, oh, we're gonna cause blindness too. I think they have to tell the parents that this is what's gonna happen, but it's, you know, you have a choice. You can have a baby that's alive or one that's blind, which is, you know, which you, you know. Now, how about your brother? <laughs> he's, uh, he's sighted. He's oh, fine. I yeah. was talking to my daughter about you last night and we decided you were just the curious one. So you opened your eyes up more. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's good. Absolutely. So your growing up years sound anything but idyllic. If you don't mind telling us a bit about that. Did your blindness contribute to it? I, I don't know how to go about this, but what opened the door for you to become the creator of your own destiny? Well, let's see. And what was the first part of that? I didn't quite I catch it. I read your story on your website, and your growing up years sound anything but idyllic. Oh, okay. And how did I create my destiny? You know... Um, yeah, my childhood was hard. I had parents that, you know, they did the best they could with what they got. But and then, but yeah, mental abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Um, you know, did they know any better? I don't know. But I think I was the brunt of it all because because I was because I was the different one. I was the blind one. Maybe don't talk, don't tell, don't touch. You know, maybe they thought I wouldn't say anything and I didn't you know for 50 years I didn't uh and yet what probably helped me during those years was the love of my grandma I mean she was without ever saying anything and I didn't know any of that consciously you know when you're a kid you think that's just how life is everybody has that same kind of life it wasn't until later years later that I kind of realized that well you know physical abuse and, you know, sexual, emotional, that's not normal, you know? And so how do you know that when you're a kid? So um, I, grandma's the one as a kid who showed me love and probably in, without ever even saying it or knowing it or, you know, she just, she was just there loving me. And, and she probably taught, not taught, um, treated me as a person that just happened to be blind instead of a blind kid, you know, and there's a difference if, if, if the person is first versus just blind kid, you know? And so my parents always, and they still do, they kind of just see me as blind first and I don't mind being blind and that's who I am, but I'm, and there's just so much more to me than just the lack of outer sight. And they never could get past that. So grandma in my early years was the one that saw me as, just a regular person who just needed to be loved for Pete's sakes. I don't know if that's what you're going after. I mean, I can say that's how I really changed my destiny, but grandma was the first one to help me to change my destiny. There were others along my path, um, and I can tell you those people, but grandma was the first one. Well, it's funny because this podcast is for boomer women, and many, many boomer women are grandmas, and my own grandchildren are such an important part of my life. And when you mm. mentioned your grandma, my heart. Oh, yeah, grandma Nora, sixth grade education, you know, but she knew how to love, you know, we just more about my parents are so visual oriented. They just, 
you know, and I couldn't connect with them visually. So, you know, that was kind of like a ding against me, you know, and, and, and I was different. And I, you know, I didn't, they had, they had money and, and um, I'm going to go from first, I mean, from zero to, you know, I got through high school and yet I, I didn't connect with all that. I, you know, I wanted to touch and I wanted conversation and I wanted to be connected with and, and all that. And they just had no clue of how to do that because I couldn't do the eye contact thing. And my other siblings grew up kind of image oriented and they all thought mom and dad were wonderful. And uh, I, I never did. I just like, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> Why can't they love me? It's just so, you know, grandma does it. Why can't you do it? I just, I don't get that. Part of your story leads me to say, you know, you've got strength of character and determination and that's cool and amazing, but in her own quiet way, it sounds like grandma was, yeah, really cool. Yeah, she was awesome. Yeah, yeah, to her dying day, she was awesome. Always supported me, always loved me, always accepted me for me, you know, whatever that was, you know. And just, yeah, I never could understand how come my mom would treat me the way I did, or my dad, either way. They, she just never, I'll, I'll just go into a story that popped in my head. So once, once upon a time, when I was in my 30s and 30 to 40, and I had a CNI dog, and I went back to Indianapolis, which is where I grew up. And I went with my CNI dog, number, gosh, number two, I think, and um, for family reunion. And I got all ready to go, and I was going out the door, and and mom said, "Oh, you're not going with us." And and it was this big reunion, and it was because you're blind. And I was like, "Really? Oh, I know." She said, um, "Be too hard for us to take you." Yeah, it's really hard. All I gotta do is hold on to the handle of that dog and go into a restaurant and sit down. It's really hard, mom. But you know, it's like, what's up with? And I can remember being devastated. And my grandma sat down beside me on the couch and said. I don't know what's wrong with your mother. We didn't raise her that way. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's just weird. She was just, but I think the image thing, I mean, oh my gosh, her blind daughter walking into a restaurant with a dog. It's like, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with her. Just beyond me. And I'm so glad that in many areas, probably not enough, but that whole, we've got a child with some issue, even an adult child, you know, so we hide them away as though they're an embarrassment. It reflects on us. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Almost. Yeah. That's a, that's a good uh, analogy. Kind of almost like what they did with blind people, you know, like a couple hundred years ago or who knows that they, you know, they, yeah. Keep them in their little houses. Okay, so let's go to some of your accomplishments okay. and your adventures. I, I, I do have adventures. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> music stands out. Wow, how did you get into music? And tell us about singing such roles as Mimi and Violetta. Yeah, it was fun. I got into music. Originally, I got into it uh, when I was a kid, like in fifth grade, and I was studying in my room and from my brother's room came over an intercom that we had in this piano concerto, which Indianapolis at the time didn't have a symphony and we didn't have a classical radio station. So how that was broadcast is kind of a mystery to me. 
But I went out and I went, there's the most beautiful piece of music on the radio. And my, I recently got my own um, radio and they put me into piano lessons. And, and I, you know, as a teenager, I hated piano lessons. No, don't make me practice. Ah. Um, but then I went back to it because I, you know, it's one thing I could do by myself. That and writing, uh, we were a couple things I could do and singing, but I, I got into it and then I, um, I tried to get out of it and I had guitar lessons and singing and I was trying to get out of piano lessons, which is how I got into voice. And my parents said, well, as long as you still take piano, you can have voice. Same way for the guitar. As long as you still take piano, you can have guitar. It's like, fine. So I still kept up the piano and I Ever since voice lesson number one, and I always sang. I sang in little church choirs, and I sang um, with my friends in grade school. And I've always, I always had a big mouth, and just bigger than everybody else. And they always, hey, shut up! You're so noisy. <laughs> so, so, but I, um, but once I took my first lesson, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And uh, my teacher said, what are you doing being an alto? And because I, I love to harmonize. And she goes, you're a soprano. So ever since then, I just loved this thing. And I knew that's where I was going. And I've always believed in following one's heart. So I followed that part of my heart with the voice and just went, got a bachelor's degree and then a master's. And, and that degree, that teacher so, totally saw me as a singer first in this my blindness is second and she just always edified me that I could do anything that anybody else could do and she believed in me and I just allowed me to try out and I'd get it and then we just work out the mechanics of how does Gail go across the stage and how does she not fall off and how do we do this and that you know and, and we worked all that out it was that part was kind of easy you know you have to one of my sayings is your desire to fly has to be bigger than your fear of falling so my desire to sing the opera had to be bigger than all the mechanics of how to do the staging or how to how to learn the opera role or just any of that mechanic stuff you know so and, and it's always been true my desire to do the it has always been bigger than the fear not to say I don't have fears but the desire has to win or else the fear will so <laughs> I'm sitting here with a massacre smile on my face. It's great. Okay, so seamstress and a courtesan, rather different roles. Did you sing them in Italian? No, I sung them in English. And yet this, the the uh, Traviata, was it Traviata? No, it was, let me think. Um, no, it was Mimi. When I did that role, I soon after I auditioned for a national competition for singers, and I won the state of Kansas, which is where I was at the time, and then I won the regional, and then we, we went to nationals. And for nationals, I had to learn the Italian role, the the opera role in the original language, and I had like two weeks to do it, and I totally. And that was amongst a whole bunch of other repertoire that two concerts, holding concerts and, and work with orchestra and, and a song cycle and this and that. And we had like 50 pieces of music I had to learn and I had to do it in two weeks, which I totally freaked out psychologically and I lost my voice. Funny story. So, um, so for the two weeks I sat on my bed uh, eating honey every 30 minutes, I think I took a spoonful of honey. And then I um, would sit on my bed and 
I had to get the score then written out. I don't know if I did it. I think I did notes and words. Uh, I think I did. Um, so I had to get somebody to transcribe it. I'm sure my music teacher just said, you will now do this for Gail. Transcribe that whole opera with her and put it into Braille. And we did that very quickly. You know, and how many hours did that take? Um, like, I don't know, but the whole opera my, uh, had to take hours. And then, then I had to sit there and memorize the words and rhythm. And I can remember sitting on my bed, tapping my foot going, I don't know, see me chiama nomine in the rhythm of the how is it going to be said and over and over to memorize it. And so by the time the contest came along, I had like the entire first act memorized and half of the second. And I can remember driving down to Arkansas and 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 with my companist and and I'm going, what are we gonna do? What if they asked me for page? I don't know, 329, and I don't know 329, what am I gonna do? And he goes, I know, and he pulls the car over and he gets the score out of the back of the car and he brings it up to his steering wheel. And he goes, we're gonna memorize the last act, the last like 10 minutes of the last act where you're dying. And we'll, we'll memorize that and they'll think that you knew the whole thing. I went, really? So he helped me memorize on the way down from Kansas to Arkansas, the, um, that last five minutes or whatever it was. And um, and then I got there and I, I'm so psyched out uh, psychologically. I, I couldn't sing because I was just so freaked out. And uh, he ran and got an orange. I, I remember doing this because he goes, what happened to your voice? I went, did you eat honey again? I go, yeah. So I went and got this orange and came back and I ate the orange and blah, blah. I, I got my voice back and it, it was just relieving that pressure. And we worked out all the gestures and everything. And we started with that the next day for the audition. And um, then I got to go on to national, but that was crazy. That's just crazy. You know, they can be doing all that now. I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> no way could I do all that. But it was, it was fun. And I love doing it. But wow. Oh, you've impressed the hell out of me because I often say that my children learn to talk at about six months and their first words were full sentences like, Mom, will you quit singing those lullabies because we're trying to sleep? <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. It, it, it's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go to an adventure now. Okay, good. Because it's one that I wouldn't go near. You climb the Sydney mm. Harbour Bridge. Is that as in Sydney, Australia? That was in Sydney, Holy Australia. Crap. Okay, so I'm going to ask a question. And it's <laughs> just born of my own ignorance of blindness. I wouldn't even call, I wouldn't even climb a tall ladder because with my vision, I can yeah. see the height. I get vertigo mm. if I lose sight of the solids around yeah, me. I can do that. Do you get any disorienting issues when you climb? I mean, the Sydney Bridge is 134 meters above the water. I looked it up. Yeah, it's like in, it's like 75 flights, stories tall. So, yeah, and then I think 1,300 steps or 1,400, something like that. Um, no, I didn't, didn't get any, you know, you know you're up there, but it's, it, you know, it's, you know, there's probably some perks of being blind. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know you're there, but it's, the, the bridge, it's not like you're walking on a, a plank for Pete's sakes. You know, they, it's, <laughs> there's rails that are probably waist high all the way up and they um, bungee you in to the sides of the bridge all the way up and down. So it's not, 
it, I mean, you'd have to climb over the thing and take your bungee off and, you know, and, and you're amongst a bunch of other people. So it'd be very hard to, to jump off or to fall off. I, I you'd have to take a, some weird act of God to have that happen. <laughs> you know, so it, it's, it's, uh, it probably still would be freaky if you could look down and go, oh, but, um, but no, I mean, I knew I was up there and it was cooler and, and you could hear the cars way down there, but, and the boats way down there. But um, better than that, you know, it, uh, you're just standing on metal in the sunshine and there you go. So just for the sheer adventure of it, because it was there? Sort of. Um, I went with this group called Travel Eyes which is out of London and they match sighted and blind people together. So they advertise, we're going to Australia. And then anybody who wants to go that's sighted or anybody who wants to go on their mailing list that's blind will come right back and go, hey, I want to do that. So then they say, okay, we got 10 blind people and we got 10 sighted people okay to go. So um, I actually wrote them like the day after I heard they're going to Australia, because I always wanted to go to the opera house. I thought, wouldn't that be cool? And so I wrote them and said, I want to go. And um, they said, oh, we're closed. And I went, no. And they um, they said, well, if you bring a sighted friend with you, you can come. I went, okay. So I called up one of my friends, Pam, and I said, you want to go with me? And she went, well, yeah, because I'm paying her way. So why wouldn't you go? So the sighted person goes, no. The blind person goes, for full fee and the sighted person goes for half fee so you know if you're sighted like why not do this and anybody still can do this when they open up after the pandemic uh it's a cool thing if you ever want to go anywhere if you're sighted um just go travel eyes e-y-e-s and they um uh if you want to go on an adventure and all you have to do for your other half of your fare is be willing to guide a, a blind person which is really easy it's not hard um and uh, and you can get your other fare, you know, the other half like waved. So that's very cool. So I wanted to do it because um, I wanted to go to the opera house. And so when my friend Pam and I were looking through the itinerary, she said, well, on this day, you can um, take a boat trip around the harbor and you can, uh, they'll describe the opera house and they'll describe the um, bridge or you could climb the bridge. And I went, I'm climbing it. She goes, I'm not. I go, okay, well, you don't have to, but I am. And I I said, well, how else am I going to see it? You know, I mean, you know, if you're sighted, you go, oh, look at that. Isn't that pretty? But, you know, as a blind person, it's just, it doesn't mean anything to me. So you know, I thought the only way I was going to experience it to really know what it looked like and all that would be to climb the thing. So I practiced for three months in my apartment building, climbing from the first to the fourth floor. Uh, 25 times I figured out how many steps the bridge was and then um, then my from the first to fourth floor were 55 steps so I knew I had to do that 25 times in order to equal the bridge so I worked for three months you know slowly and methodically to work it took me 50 minutes to to do it here in my building before I was ready to do it out in the world because I I knew I didn't want to just go from ground zero to 75 stories tall (laughs) in one day you know that would be bad news bears so um yeah i think we did like thirty thousand steps that day it was nuts from walking from the hotel to the to the bridge and up the bridge and down the bridge and then we went to the opera that night and there's another 200 steps to climb there and a tour and uh, it was a long day. <laughs> my legs knew they'd done something by the time they came home 
it's interesting that you talk about the sensations and your imaging of the boats way down there and the traffic way down there. Your senses obviously are amazing. And I think it's something we forget when we're sighted. Mm -hmm. Just close your eyes and just experience the sounds of the wind or the feel of it. Yeah, yeah. Sighted people would be, you know, you look down and, you know, you'd see, what was it, a lake or whatever it is down there. Um, and a highway, and you probably would get freaked out a little bit. I'm sure there's some people that I can't imagine anybody that was afraid of heights that would actually climb the bridge. I mean, why would you do that to yourself if you couldn't climb, you know, two two stories and without getting freaked out? You probably wouldn't climb the bridge. I mean, I'm just kind of thinking. You're right, absolutely. <laughs> I, would not climb the I don't think so. It's probably like me going a hot air balloon. It's like my one phobia in life is balloons. You know, it's like, yeah, no. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. and it sounds kind of nice, but it'd probably be nice and quiet. But yeah, balloon popping. Yeah, no, nope, I don't think so. You know, so, <laughs> so yeah, probably the same thing. But yeah, the wind, the sun. It, it was cool to say I've done that. I mean, how many people can say that? You know, so yeah, I have pictures. <laughs> so did you make it to the opera house? Yeah, yeah, we got down in time and then we rushed home and we changed clothes. And, and uh, you know, the opera house was interesting as. Um, and again, you couldn't, I mean, it's a Sydney Opera House. It's famous for all those things on the roof. Uh, I can't remember now. I mean, I have a little charm of it. Oh, yeah, I know what you yeah. mean, the, the sails. Yeah, 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 that's it. Um, and and we kind of could, they took us on tour. And I, I got the feel. So, but, you know, there's no way you could ever really see that. I did get a, a replica. Who did I get that to? Um a little wooden replica of the opera and the bridge of the opera house and the bridge. And so they put them together to me so I could see like the whole big picture. Um, they haven't put that together to me yet. Um, but what you asked, you asked if I, uh, well, if you'd made oh. it because did you open your mouth and get a few notes out while you were there? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be cool? No, I didn't, but um, that would have been kind of cool. The, the main auditorium was closed and we had we had dinner in the opera house so the, it was lots of stairs going up and down between these different late levels of the sails and it was interesting that it was um you know so this is the, but it, what makes it famous is Australia doesn't they don't waste a lot of money like America um in foo stuff now I'm sure there's some places there that do but what I noticed as a blind person was that, for example, the opera house, you know, there's carpet on my feet, but the, um, I don't remember if we went to the bathroom. I was just trying to think, what were the bathrooms like? But the the floors were hardwood. The chairs were just like wooden folding chairs. You know, they didn't waste, you know, it's like you think it'd be more fancy for being this world-renowned opera house. But it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't plush chairs and plush carpet and plush anything that I touched. It wasn't really plush. Um, you, I got the impression it was simple. It, just like in the hotels, they didn't have all those little stupid little bottles of shampoo and stuff. It was all uh, canisters on the walls that you know that they filled with the shampoo and um, the no water bottles anywhere. Uh, if you wanted water, you know, you had to probably get it out of I don't know, but there's none in it because they probably, stupid Americans would probably 
throw them in the ocean and screw up the coral reefs. Yeah, I was just you know, thinking that it yeah. sounds really environmentally friendly. Yeah, it was awesome. And as for a blind person, the streets, the sidewalks were wide. They were five to ten feet wide. It was awesome. They had braille on the telephone poles so you knew what street you're on and audible signals. I mean, it, and it was nice and flat. And, and then when you came to a curb, you knew you came to a curb. It was just like, oh, my God, I just want to move here. <laughs> I was just thinking that. It's so much easier than, you know, I mean, just to have the the awareness to have the street name in Braille on the pole. I mean, how cool is that? Well, what a simple thing that nobody ever thinks of, but is so right. valuable right. to unsighted people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I never thought of it either. I came back and go, why don't we do that? You know, like. Why? Why do I have to ask the sighted person what street this is? Wouldn't that be cool to put it on the pole in Braille? There's your next I mean, job. <laughs> yeah. A yeah, project. Yeah. I tried yeah, I tried to tell the one of the organizations for the blind, like, we should do this in Inglewood and then make it go national, but they all went, Do you know who that was like you guys just have to see the vision? I mean, you got audibles to be worldwide, why not? We don't have names on the poles, you know, the streets. I mean, you know, all all things are possible. Metal plaques would do the trick, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Well, there's your project. And speaking of projects, I'm going to ask you about building a Habitat for Humanity house. Participating in a build sounds rather cool. It was rather fun. You know, I just do these things because you know they get presented to me, and I just go, "Oh, guess I'll do that now." Um, and part of it's my mindset. It was I, you know, I was like somebody's going to get the house. Why not me? And so I just kept thinking, I just kept envisioning that I was going to get it. Why did I get this house? This is really cool. 30 people apply and no, 600 people apply and only 30 get it. Um, that was, you know, when I was doing it way back 13 years ago. And um, so I just kept thinking, I'm going to get it. And I, they called me and I did it, but yeah, how much of a hoop is that? And, and yeah, to, and to build it from the ground up. I mean, I built, I helped build the crawl space and I was on the roof three times because I, how is a blind girl going to know? Sounds like a joke. How's a blind girl know what a roof looks like? No answer. She climbs up and feels it. (laughs) (laughs) I just love the whole concept because I've totally renovated a house and I often joke about having my boy toys and I love them. Yeah, yeah. All my tools. Yeah, no, it's fun to ratchet the crawl space and be on the roof and you know, do this, whatever that word is for the subroof. Um, and they don't call it. I, I, people tell me every once in a while, I go, ah, then I forget it again. But to build that and, and the subfloors and the studs and the walls, I mean, it was, and the drywall, all it. And I did painting. I did it all. I spackled. I, the person, I had a volunteer that would put my hand where I needed to be for the nail, but it was my responsibility to pound the nail in. So it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I love doing it. It was, yeah, it, it was fun. Well, at the risk of sounding a little bit sexist, you, you can just imagine a fellow that's into construction being told by a woman how to do something, let alone being told by a blind woman how to do something. Yeah, I yeah. think that's well, the first, The summer before, I mean, I knew I was in the queue to get a house, but we didn't know where and all that. And I said, can I climb on the roof? And the, this guy goes, yeah, yeah, he was one of the supervisors. But little did he know he was going to be my supervisor. So the first day on the you know building a house you know 
um, or on the roof. I went, I want to be on the roof. And he went, how are we going to make that happen? <laughs> and so the first time I went up there, he, he gets me up there and um, and they had my volunteers behind me and he's in front of me and they're describing, you know, we're going up the little ladder and, and then we're, and he, you know, getting, they're very cautious with me, which is fine. <laughs> you know, it's a roof for Pete's sakes and it's all slanted and, and uh, we get up there and he goes, well, now we're going to, we're going to harness you in because of safety. I don't think they did that with the sighted people, but they wanted to do it for me and that's fine. But he's trying to put this harness on me on the roof. You know, it's like, I think they, they, and finally he gave up and I had all my, I had two or three other people trying, you know, I was laying on the whole, the roof and they were trying to put this harness on. It was, it was hysterical. It was like one of those things you like, man, I wish I had a video of that. That was just a right. I'm just, I'm just laying there laughing as they're trying to figure out how to get this harness on me. Like when you all figure it out, just let me know. <laughs> I'll just lay up here and, and laugh while you all figure this out. Second time and the third time they figured out, oh, let's put this on her when she's on the ground and then have her climb up. There's the idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think harnesses are a standard procedure because literally yesterday they finished roofing the house that I live uh-huh. in. And I think it was not the best roofing company in town. But my one comment was the fact that none of those guys are harnessed which is really standard procedure Uh Uh i'm glad it wasn't my insurance company yeah 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 there you go (laughs) okay we women are quite aware of pageants Ah. where did that idea come from and what was it like (laughs) being in a pageant yeah where where do all these weird things come together really i don't think they're weird at all yeah, she's just so weird. Um, that came from a let's see, a friend of mine who uh, I met through singing at her church. When I first met her, she she was Miss Colorado Senior America, and she was I think she was in the top ten in the in the national pageant. And um, she came, and I sang at her church, and and she'd won all that, and she said. How old are you? And I said, oh, I'm 55. And she went, Oh, too bad you're not old enough to sing in them in this pageant. And I went, Yeah, right. As if I'm ever going to do that. And uh, so I forgot about it. When I turned 60, she sent me this email to apply for the pageant. And I went, Yeah. And I didn't really have the $150 application fee. So I just kind of d- delete. And uh, she called me like 30 minutes later and she goes, Did you get my email? I go, Yeah, I deleted it because I don't have the money. And she went, I'll call you back. So she calls back and goes, this is a long story. And she says, uh, uh, I got the, the application paid for, fill it out. I went, no, I'm not, I'm not a pageant. I'm not a 36, 24, 36. I'm not bad, but I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm just, you know. She goes, it's not about that. You, you're, you're entering. And I went, okay. So I, I, and my, no matter what I do, if it's co- climbing the bridge or singing the opera or entering the pageant or building a house or writing a book or whatever it is, I, you know, my main thing is to kind of inspire people. Not that oh, I'm the great Gail, but it's like whatever that it is in your life that you want to do, you can do whatever that it is. You know, you're. Your desire to fly has to be bigger than your fear of falling. Your desire to do that thing has to be bigger. And you can do all things are possible, no matter. And so it's just our heads that stops us. So 
I just said, I just want to inspire people to live your greatness and and don't let your excuses or your brain tell you you can't do whatever that thing is. So that was my MO for doing it. And of course, to no matter what it is, my it, the house, the bridge, the you know, the book, the pageant, it, it takes me longer to do that it than it would a sighted person and the operas because, well, for the operas, I had to put the music on braille, the whole score and word by word and note by note. I mean, how long did that take? You know, and the, the climbing the bridge, that wasn't too bad. It didn't take me as a blind person anything different than sighted except I had to train for it. And a sighted person, if you were in your right mind, would do the same kind of thing. But building the house, you know, I, you just, I just don't, I can't walk in like a sighted person would and go, oh, you want me to put the nail there and, and do that every six inches? Okay. You know, for me, I, you know, somebody had to come along and put my hand there. And, and every task we did, I'd go, oh my God, I don't know how to do this. And I'd kind of freak out. So I'm, because I'm human. And then once I figured out how Gail was going to do it as a blind person compared to how somebody sighted would do it, then I was okay. And so the same way for the pageant, I don't know how to, like, for example, smile. Um, I mean, when I smiled, I thought sighted people smiled by putting your lips together and turning the corners of your mouth up. And that's how you smile. And I didn't know that you had to open your mouth and show your teeth and then uh, and curve your lips up. I mean, I had to be told that but because I don't see that. And the same way for the queen's wave or how to twirl in the gown. And, and then I had to learn how to do that with the C&I dog beside me. And how do I do that? So they don't see the dog. They see the dog, but they don't see me as blind first, but they see me as capable first. And oh, yeah, she has a C&I dog. And then the dog doesn't can't go to a little X on the stage like the sighted people did. I mean, we went there, but I had to have a sighted person guide me, and she was all in black, so the lights wouldn't really pick up her. And then I had to have the dog beside me, and how to do that so he, he would mind to be, and he had to do all his commands by whispers, and you know, we had to do all this, it, all this, and I had to work hours and hours to walk up to the mic and. And with the dog and get him to sit and all this stuff that sighted people don't do. But I wanted to do it because I wanted to inspire you that you could do it. Because, because I believe people, sometimes without knowing it, they're kind of victims of their lives and they don't, and they let their excuse, their thing, their whatever from stopping them from doing what they, they, they want to do, their passions. And I want to inspire that no matter what it is, you can do that passion. And so, that's why I work so hard. I just, no matter what it is, I just did it for the fun of it. And then by golly, because I can sing. Um, yeah, I won the, the um, Colorado and then I won fourth place in the nationals. So that was pretty cool, beating out 29 other women. So yeah, and, and probably if I weren't blind, I might've gotten to be number one or two. But, you know, sometimes other people's vision of me, they're the ones that are nearsighted, not me. So it's okay. They they get to live with that. So at the risk of sounding like I'm summing up Gail Hamilton's life in a couple of sentences, is it safe to say that seeing as how your investment is so much greater than a sighted person's, that you just sort of figure, what the hell, got to put all this into it. Let's just go for it. Yeah. 
yeah, it's like, I don't have anything to lose. You know, yeah. And I don't know if it's like my ego saying, oh, I got to prove myself or whatever, but it's, it's just, uh, I want to empower others to do their, their dreams and stuff, no matter what that is. And, um, cause I believe everybody can do, do whatever that is. So yeah, it takes me way much more loyalty and commitment and desire and passion, grit, determination, whatever, than it would anybody else. Um, <laughs> this is going to be really weird, but I'm just doing this for the fun of it. But a friend of mine recently came to me and said, well, why don't you um, go educate people on finances, which I've struggled all my life with finances. And he says, why don't you just come and do this? And I went, oh my God, I know nothing, zero, zero zip about finances. But at 60, almost nine years old, I'm going, you know, I don't have anything else I'm really doing it's pressing on my plate at the moment besides playing around podcasts and doing blogs and I mean I'm doing stuff but you know I, I have some time in my hand so I all last two months and again I'm just doing this for the fun of it you know I've got, I'm now I'm licensed as a license I can sell life and health insurance and long-term insurance and just for the fun of it it's like huh, what do, this is I'm calling it my Alzheimer's prevention program and uh, you know that it's also my um insomnia prevention program because it's certainly secured both of those at the moment but it's i'm doing it to stretch myself but i found out yesterday i'm like the only blind person in the united states that's doing this it's like how stupid is that so you know i'm just kind of a little trailblazer like oh well there, there needs to be a blind person doing this maybe i'll just go off and 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 empower people that they can they can um have better finances and uh, you know that all that too is possible like who knows why i'm doing it i have no idea but it's it's just kind of fun to stretch i guess i keep stretching me and empowering others and whatever you can do just go do it because we all think that i think our egos we you know like what if i just said at 20 i'm just going to be an opera singer and that's all i'm going to be well great but I never would have been a psychotherapist. I never would have been a piano teacher. I never would have built the house. I never would have written the book. I never would have been the speaker. I never would have done this weird thing in finances that totally blows my mind that I'm doing. You know, it's just, I just keep, never would have built the house to climb the bridge. I just, I guess God gives me the opportunity and I just go for it. I just go, why not me? Somebody's going to be doing these things. Why, why not me? And so I just keep doing it. Just because, I don't know. You know, like I, I always come into these podcast chats with uh, some notes so that I cover off things I want to cover off. And every once in a while, a guest will go exactly where I'm going to go next. And I accuse them of peeking at my notes. And I can't accuse oh. you of that. Okay, but, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I went through the screen and I looked at your notes. Yeah. <laughs> Because I was going to then go to the fact that our listeners are boomer women. And I think you've answered this in many ways. Many of them have stories of abuse, sexism, diminishment, fear. And, and I was going to ask you, what do you say to them? And I'm going to quote your website here to help them plan to do something with their one precious life. Now, you've already given us a whole bunch of that. Is there anything to add? Hmm, to help them to do that. Um, some of my things, I think you have to have a positive attitude. 
um, align with your faith or your source or yourself or your God or your passion or whatever you want to align with. And then you have to have action. And I think you have to also be authentic. Um, so it's some A's, A words there uh, with all that. I think in, in, in being authentic, I think you have to also be willing to be vulnerable. Uh, too many people don't want to do that in our society. And I think it's okay to say this freaks you out or there's a fear. And and because in speaking that and speaking our truths, then we get to be who we really are. And another one I have is like seven senses. And so that would be like seeing your vision and listening to your inner voice, speaking your truth, um, opening, reaching out to others, following your heart and opening, opening your heart uh, to peace and to love and to joy and to step forward, boldly forward into your greatness and not, not to be afraid of all that. And it's, it's be who you are because who you are is magnificent and wonderful. And gosh, you're, you're here for a purpose. And by, by giving up, by, by making excuses, by living in the fear, by all that stuff that our egos, our egos like to tell us all that stuff. And that we're either, oh, you're too, you're so great. You're, you're so great. Or you're not good enough. That, that's its purpose. And you just have to say, thank you for sharing and, and move on. And to follow your, the spirit and the passion and your heart. I mean, that's what life's all about. And I and you don't have to know the how. I think you just or the why, and just give that up to whatever you believe in, God or your source or the universe, blah blah. And but just let that figure it out. And you, your job is just to keep following your heart and to move boldly forward. And uh, I guess that's what I keep doing in my life. I just I don't know where I'm going. I just know that I just keep doing these weird different things and I figure out what, what, I, you know, I just, I just do it just to do it. I don't know why. And I don't have to. It's like, I just have a blast of doing whatever I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sure helps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause if you don't like what you're doing, don't do it. I mean, that's a sure clue that whatever you're doing is not the right thing. And that's not to say that we don't have feelings and we can't, you know, I go through the grieving process when something really sad because I've lost 69 dogs and each one for different circumstances. And that's devastating because the dogs are not just a dog, but they're, they're, I put my life in their paws. And so every time that one goes away, it's devastating. And so I, I have grieved and my grandma has died and my parents and, and all that. And so I, I, I've had loss like everybody else, but, and you go through that and you breathe and you keep breathing and you keep going through that process and, and you know, we stay outside and there's always good on the other side. Well, you just did it again because <laughs> I did. I wanted to ask one last question. Seven guide dogs over the years. I saw a picture of a black lab. Yeah. Penny. And a golden retriever. Can you tell us a little bit about your yeah, dogs? Yeah, so I'd love to see. Now, if they could just see, you know, if we just had a video, I could go take you a little tour of my little dogs. Um, I've had I've had six. I'm waiting on number seven. Um, first was a German Shepherd named Gretel, and uh, she was 
10 and a half when she died. She was, she was awesome. I right. I was thinking about dog stories last night. Um, I mean, I have stories. So um, walking in concrete with her and, and, uh, and let's see, well, there's another one I had, oh, losing her, leaving her on the balcony all night. Yeah. Um, but Gretel and then Lorraine was my second and she was 12 and three fourths when she died and she was a shepherd. And then I had Camber and he was a golden and uh, he retired at four, but I kept him uh, until he, he died at 15 and a half. Um, we had a great time together, retiring and walking on playing ball and stuff. And then there is Mr. Vinny and he's in the front of my book. Um, but he, we call him Mr. America. And um, the ladies had fun putting necklaces on him and putting bling all over him for the pageant. They just thought that was really great. And he was, he's a black lab, he's 10. And I actually have given him to um, another woman to raise because at the time I was going to get another dog, which I did, but, um, but it, it's, uh, and so I didn't want to have two dogs at the same time. So he's still alive. He has a little bit of cancer, but he's in arthritis, but he's, he's actually gotten over those and purred along. And then um, let's see, Sarge, dog five. Sarge was, I think he was half golden and half yellow lab. And awesome dog, awesome, awesome dog. Um, he loved to play Kong, oh my gosh. And, um, but he and I were only together six months and another lady let, allowed her dog to, to be on a flexor lead and attack my dog in the middle of two busy streets. And because what's my dog to do when this other dog's at his face, you know, inches away, but so they had a big brawl. And because it's my safety, he had to be retired and he's now a police dog um, somewhere. I don't know where, but he's off somewhere. Um, sniffing, um, Lithium batteries, I think, in prisons on cell phones for prisoners that's not supposed to have cell phones. And then that's Sarge. And then then Maggie, 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 I got last March. I only had her five days because then I hurt my knee out in training and I had to come home. So she's off with somebody else. And oh, she was really cute too. 52 pounds of cuteness. So yeah. So I'm waiting for dog seven, and I don't know when that's happening. Every month I go, am I getting it? No? Okay. Next month, yeah? No? Oh. So it's kind of, it's going to be in the winter now, which sucks. Or maybe it'll be next spring if I keep, <laughs> like, please, don't match me in the winter. <laughs> so is there a process then each time you get a dog, you have to learn about each oh, other? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, um. I get my dogs in New Jersey at the CNI, and I've always gotten my dogs there. And they were the first school in the United States to provide training for CNI dogs, maybe in the world, but certainly for the United States. And I know they do Canada as well. They, um, yeah, there's a whole process of breeding the dogs and all that. And, and then they go off to 4-H families for about a year, a little over a year sometimes. And they for each family teach and all the way through they're being educated, not educated, well that too, but they're being um, watched and see what characteristics they have physically and psychologically, will they make a good dog? And they're always being uh, evaluated. That's the word I wanted. 
can deceive physically and mentally and psychologically um, if they'll work as a CNI dog. You know, but what if they're too skittish or what if they uh, like to chase cats or, you know, what what's their thing? You know, they would they and I think like one third of them make the program and the other two thirds go off to for each families or other families that go on the list that, hey, I'd like to have a kind of like a reject. <laughs> you know, one that doesn't make the program. And um, so then after they, they go through that whole, and the 4-H family teaches them how to sit and they teach them how to heal and and good house manners. They teach them, and, they're, and they're, they have the chance to be around dishwashers and vacuum cleaners and maybe other pets or children or and they go to work and they they're around cars and they get to go in little outings and all that's they try to expose them as much as possible to different environments because you never know what a blind person's going to be doing like they could be traveling on airplanes or riding trains or uh, crossing streets or maybe they hang out on a farm with cows who knows but whatever their lifestyle is they want to try to expose them to as many different things as possible and and give them some training of you know, here's what you do in public and here's what you don't do and that kind of stuff. And then they go back to the CNI and they get more evaluated and are they physically up to it and, and psychologically and run through all these kinds of tests. And then they go through training for about four months where they're still being evaluated all the way through that process. And then finally they get matched up with me and that, it, and they take, in, you know, how strong am I? Um, how, do I want a hard pull in that harness or do I want a lighter pull? Um, do I live with a bunch of dogs or do I not? Do I live in the city or the country? How tall am I? How much do I weigh? Am I mean or am I nice? You know, am I, can I handle, uh, how fast do I want to walk? Uh, or how slow do I want to walk? Uh, all that takes to be in consideration. And then they eventually knock on wood, um, you know, have a match for you. So, yeah, it's not an easy process for them and or the person, you know. So it has to be all the variables have to be put in place. That's amazing. That's great. It's stuff that you just don't think about. Yeah, yeah, because it's my life in their hands, you know, so or their paws. So it, they, it, they, they want to get it right when they do do it. Maggie was awesome. She was great. I was really looking forward to it. I always wanted a little girl golden because I've had the two shepherd girls and then the the labs and the goldens were boys, and I thought it'd be really fun to have a little girl again. It's like, come on, let's have a girl. Except I forgot to say to God, I want her for ten years. <laughs> oh, five days? Oh, you got it. I gave it to you. Oh, but five days, really, God? So, and she was. And my, I have a friend, and she always has little dogs. I went. I want a little dog like she does. She always has these little cute girl dogs. I want one. And it's like, oh, I got it. it was, and she was so cute. But, yeah. So. Well, I'd offer you my girl half gold. Ah. But you'd fire her within about two and a half ah, Well, we can just play together. It'd be fun. I'll, I'll babysit. It'd be great. Just keep treats in your pocket. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. Oh, Gail, you are truly amazing. I love your stories. Oh, my goodness. Where do our listeners find you online? Why, online, 
if you'd like to find me, why my everything's about soaring into greatness with me. My book, soaring into greatness. My email, soaring into greatness. My website, what soaring into greatness. So that's how you find me, uh, soaringintogreatness.com. And um, the email would be gail at soaringintogreatness, so G-A-I-L. And uh, yeah, but Soaring Into Greatness, you can find my blogs there. You can find um, how to contact me, just anything you'd ever want to know about me, except that financial thing. That's not out there yet. Because I, I haven't come out in the world to tell them this is what this crazy thing I'm doing. But... But but um but my that whole other life is out there. So. <laughs> oh dear, there's a reason I pre-record part of the reason with you, Gail, is so I can remove some of my chuckles that drown out your stories. I have enjoyed this so much. Oh, you're so welcome. It's been okay, <laughs> listeners. I really do encourage you to check out Gail's website and listen to more of her interviews. I'll put the links in the show notes and and a link to the book as well. If you have any comments on today's show, you can leave them where you listen to podcasts or at twoboomerwomen.com forward slash join dash the dash conversation. Feel free to leave stars. They help us grow. A bit of light housekeeping before I close today. At the beginning of the summer, I started Manly Monday, where my guests would be a man with a message. Well, they are either hard to come by or nervous of us boomer women, so it's not been easy. My last male guest, a young holistic nutritionist, coined the term Monthly Man Day, and I'm going to use that from now on to relieve the pressure of trying to find a male guest on a Monday. Uh, Good news is, I am interviewing a man in the near future who will inspire us to start a physical routine in our older years, so stay tuned. Gail Hamilton, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, your challenges and your adventures, and your positivity. You are a gift to us all. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed this. It's been fun. Have a great rest of your day.